If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 25, and I uh, hope that uh, you had a good week last week. We did. Um, I'm ready. How many people are ready for the fall now? Amen. Amen. <laughs> All you summer lovers out there. Well, let's jump into this. Uh, last week's point was the prolonging of our suffering as always for a divine purpose. And again, I shared uh, another statement in the notes if you were here. And it was this, the truth, the principles, the promises that are found in the Word of God must be the bedrock of every circumstance of our life, especially in the trials. Again, we, we go through all kinds of stuff and many times we turn to our own reasoning. We turn to outside sources. We turn to, you know, other people, which again, godly counsel is great. Uh, but again, it has to be what we find in God's Word uh, that is the bedrock of our life. And that's what's going to help us through. That's what's going to help us to have that perspective that we should have, that we're seeing in the Apostle Paul. But he was left in prison, and uh, what, for what we can understand, probably for the reason of politics. And some people might say that today is a grave injustice. This guy was serving the Lord. He had done nothing wrong criminally. And so it doesn't make sense that he was left in prison for over two years because some politicians wanted to gain favor or because they didn't want to deal with the issue or whatever the case may be. And so some people may say, well, it's just not fair that the Apostle Paul was left in prison that long for no reason at all. We saw that Jesus had told his followers that they would be delivered over to the hands of governors and kings and specifically for this reason, for a testimony unto him. And so far, Paul wouldn't have had the opportunities to do that until this time in his life, until he had been in prison, facing Felix, and now facing Festus. Uh, Festus. Um, again, if you were here, you remember that Felix had been reassigned. Festus now was the new governor in charge. And Paul has been in prison for two years, waiting to find out what's going to happen to him. And this is where we pick up in Acts chapter 25. Festus then, having arrived in the province three days later, went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the leading men of the Jews brought charges against Paul, and they were urging him. They were urging Festus, this new governor. Again, what do politicians like to do? They like to gain favor with their constituents. What do I need to do to make you happy? What do we need to do to fix this area? Requesting a concession against Paul that he might have him brought to Jerusalem. Now, here's the reason why they wanted Paul brought to Jerusalem. Yet again, they were trying to plan an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus then answered, that Paul was being kept in custody at Caesarea, that he himself was about to leave shortly, he was going to leave Jerusalem, go back to Caesarea. Therefore he said to them, let the influ influential men among you go there with me, and if there's any, uh, anything wrong about the man, let them prosecute him. Let them charge him there, let them accuse him there in, in, in that forum. After he had spent not more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea. And I want to remind you of this, Going down from Jerusalem is always the term because Jerusalem sits on a mountain, Mount Zion. That's where, the, that's where uh, you get all of the, the description of they went down because if you know the, the geography there in Israel, Caesarea is actually north. So what we would say down, we would think south. It's, it's um, elevation-wise. So they went down from Jerusalem to Caesarea. And on the next day he took his seat on the tribunal, that was in the, the judgment seat, and ordered Paul to be brought. After Paul arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him, which they could not prove. While Paul said in his own defense, I've committed no offense to either against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. 
Again, so these guys come up here. These are influential people in the, in the, in the Jewish culture. Remember, these are the same people that probably got Felix kicked out. Right? They, they, he, had, he had mistreated them. We talked about this last week. A group of them went to, according to Josephus, a group of them went to Rome and complained against Felix. Felix was removed. Festus was put in place. And so it's probably some of these same influential Jews that were bringing these serious charges against the Apostle Paul. These charges would have been so serious that he could have been put to death. But the problem is they couldn't prove anything that they were char- uh, accusing him of. And so Paul's simple defense was, I haven't done anything against the law of the Jews. I haven't done anything against the temple. And I haven't broken any laws of Rome. Why am I still in prison, basically? But listen to what happens. Here goes the world. Here goes the way of the world. Here goes the system of the world. Here, Here goes politics even still today, right? Look what happens. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, not looking to do justice, not looking to do what's right in God's sight, but wishing to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me on these charges? Which is an interesting question that the judge, the governor, would pose to the prisoner. Right? Are you willing to do this same thing that we're doing right now on my judgment seat? This was his courtroom, if you will. This is where he ruled from. And so he was asking Paul, Are you willing to do the same exact thing that you're doing right now up in Jerusalem? Look what Paul says. I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal. I mean, this is the lawful and the legal place of judgment. This is where I should be. I came from Jerusalem. I appealed to your judgment seat. I appealed to this, this, this judgment seat right here. And so that's why I'm here. So I, that's, it doesn't make any sense. I've done no wrong to the Jews, as you also very well know. But look what he says. If then I am a wrongdoer, And have committed anything worthy of death, I do not refuse to die. But if none of those things is true, of which these men accuse me, no one can hand me over to them. And then look what he says. I appeal to Caesar. I appeal to Caesar. I think Paul probably knew where this was going. I think he probably knew that Festus was looking to gain favor with these Jews who had the, the previous governor kicked out. I think that, that Paul knew that he was basically going to go and be ambushed and assassinated on the way back to Jerusalem. Now, I think Paul was completely willing to, to die for Jesus that way if that's what, Jesus is, if that's what uh, God's will was for him. But I, I think Paul knew that God wasn't done with him yet. So Festus hears what, what he says, confers with his counsel, and so he answers this, just like another, just like politicians still today. Look what he does. You have appealed to Caesar? To Caesar you shall go. What does he do? What's that called? Passing the buck. I mean, look lawfully, that's, that's what he had to do, right? He had the rights as a Roman citizen to appeal to the highest court in the land, and so he does. He appeals to the throne of Caesar himself. This is what was afforded to him. Again, we as American citizens uh, have certain rights. And a few messages back, if you were here, we saw that we must genuinely seize every opportunity for the gospel. And I think that's how we should look at our lives. And I want to encourage you this morning, it's so difficult for us to look at our lives like that. Because what happens every day of our life? Most of us, we get up in the morning, maybe you work night shift and and, and the days are flip-flop, but it's pretty much like this. 
You get up, you get ready, you go to work. You do the, the, the task at your job that you're assigned to do, or maybe you don't do that. You have certain things that you're doing around the house, and you got to take care of the kids, and you got to do this. But we're doing all these, these, these earthly things, which, again, we have to do because we're on this, on this earth. But our lives start to become all about that. That, that kind of is the definition of our life. If you were to take a, a snapshot or a, even a, a, a broader look at our lives and say, what, what is your life about? I think most of our lives would look like what's well, about going to work, making money, paying bills, doing what we want to do, saving up so that we can buy this or go there or do that. And that's kind of the general definition of our lives. Oh, yeah, we go to church too. I honestly think that's what a lot of American Christians, and, 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 and what ends up happening is that is kind of the definition of who we are. Does that make us carnal like the Corinthian church? Maybe. I don't know. I just don't think that we always approach our lives, and I'm including myself, we don't always approach our lives like we're genuinely trying to seize every opportunity for the gospel. And in addition to that, our point this morning is this. We should use everything at our disposal to be effective for the kingdom of God. We should use everything at our disposal to be effective for the kingdom of God. Man, we are so amped up on education sometimes. We're so amped up on athletics sometimes. We're so amped up on our hobbies sometimes. We are so amped up on the things of this world, man. It is what drives us. We think about it. We save for it. We, we, we get so excited about those things when we should be viewing our lives as, as sojourners, as, as aliens, foreigners to this land, this, this world, and looking to seize everything, every opportunity, and use everything that God has given us to be effective for his kingdom. And I think one of those first things that we see the Apostle Paul doing here, right? He, he was in prison. He, he, he had an interesting situation, right? He, he was kind of more in maybe house arrest, which he'll, he'll have in Rome eventually as well. But he's here for two years, and he's able to have friends come and go, bring him things, hang out with him, encourage him. So it's not like in, a, in, in the very lowest part of the, of the dungeon at this point. But Paul was using everything at his disposal to try to be effective for the kingdom of God. And the, one of the first things that we see he employs is rights, which you and I say we have from God, right? That's, that's in our Constitution. That's in our Bill of Rights. That's letter A in your notes, rights. As citizens of this nation particularly, much like Paul, there are certain rights that we've been given that give us opportunity for the kingdom of God. Not every person obviously was a Roman citizen. Some people had to buy their citizenship back then. We already talked about that commander that, that felt like he was in jeopardy because he had started to, to have Paul beaten and didn't realize he was a, a Roman citizen by birth. And he was like, hey, I bought my citizenship. So I don't want to jeopardize what I have. Not everybody was a Roman citizen. Not everybody had these rights. But Paul was. And Paul was trying to use these, these rights, everything he could do, every bit of time for the gospel. Ephesians chapter 5 says this, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, or redeeming the time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
In the beginning of that chapter, it says, walk as children of light. You used to be like these people, living for yourselves, living for your belly, living for, for this world. That's the way you used to be before you were in Christ. But now you're in Christ, so walk like a child of light. You used to be in darkness, now you're in light. And he says, so, so take care of how you're walking. Make sure that you, you walk in a way that you're using up every bit of time you can to accomplish the Lord's will because the days are evil. I've shared this recently. The entire New Testament is about the church being faithful in the midst of great darkness and great persecution. You can read, I mean, we've, we've studied the book of Acts, but I encourage you, go read every single epistle to the churches that the, the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write. And I promise you this, there's a majority of it that is trying to encourage them and help them in the midst of persecution, whether it was Judaizers or whether it was truly people that were trying to kill them and take them, whether it was Rome. No matter what, it was the church in the midst of persecution. All of the New Testament is this. Jesus' preparation for his followers was for the persecution to come. The difficulty, the tribulation in this world, John 16, 33, in this world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Again, his, 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 his entire preparation for his disciples and the followers to come was for the difficulty that we would live in in a world that we didn't fit in. And we're living in a time and specifically a place that is seemingly a season. And maybe we could call it this, a pocket of grace in God's plan for the church. Because we are living in something that I don't think any, era, any time of the church has, could have ever imagined. The American church right now, and I think it has spread throughout the world. I think there's, there's places in the world because of what God has done in and through America and, and, and the influence that he has had throughout the world. I think there's been this season, this pocket of grace and God's plan in the church. And I, and I believe that, that what God has, has blessed, I think the enemy has taken full advantage of. Because I think we have to ask the question this, if we are in this amazing pocket of grace that most of the church throughout all of its history couldn't even imagine how blessed we are living right now. I mean, most of the church throughout all of church history has experienced persecution. So to see living in a land that all of your rights are protected, maybe they would think that they could go back to Constantine, right? When, when he employed the, 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 the state religion because he had a dream or he had a vision. End up being the state church, end up being the Catholic church. But maybe they would go back to the, the 300s and, and think about that. But I, don't, I think it would blow their mind to see them, to, to see what kind of blessings that you and I live in, the kind of rights that we have as citizens in this land, as followers of Jesus Christ. I, mean, I think they would say, you, you mean to tell me you could go out in the middle of the, the, the courthouse Lawn. You could go out in the middle of the city square and you could grab a, a, a microphone. You could, grab, you could stand on a, on a box. You could go to downtown Fort Worth and you could stand on a box and you can just begin to preach the gospel. And people won't stone you and take you to prison? I think most of the church history would, would look at what we experience and what we have right now in rights. Say, wow, y'all are probably doing more for the church. Y'all are probably doing more for the kingdom than any point in all of church history.
Maybe in some ways we have because of some of these other blessings we're going to talk about, but I think in some ways, man, we are not taking full advantage of the time. I think that we're wasting the time. If the church throughout history has always faced persecution and attack, and it still does in many parts of the world. I was, we were in our group last Tuesday night, and um, I encouraged our group, if you've never read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you should. You should grab your copy, get it on Amazon, whatever you want to do. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs, and man, you will see the great persecution that's going on. And you can do another thing. You can subscribe, you can get online, you can read the same things. The Voice of the Martyrs is still going on today. We have brothers and sisters throughout the world who are experiencing severe persecution that have to meet underground, that have to hide, that are afraid that if they go to this place, they may lose their life, their family may, may lose everything they have. But we don't. We don't have that at all. There's never been a time in my life on my way from my house to this church building that I've ever thought maybe I'm, maybe I'm going to get caught on the way and butchered in the forest. We have brothers and sisters, little children that are experiencing that around the world. Never had to think about that, never thought that. And, and because of these amazing blessings, you have to ask the question, what kind of account are we going to have to give before the Lord? With all of these rights, man, that afford us so many privileges, so many blessings in this land. Are we using them primarily for the kingdom? This isn't a fairy tale for Paul. It's not even, it's not a fairy tale that we're reading. Like we read it on the books, uh, on, on the pages of this book like it's a story. And it is a story. It's God's story. But it's, it's real. This was a real man. He was a true apostle, a servant of God. This is not something like, oh, well, it was probably pretty bad for him. No. It, it, it wasn't a fairy tale for, for him. It's not a fairy tale for our brothers and sisters that are still going through it. And I've never known in my whole life, I've never known what it's like to be sitting in a prison cell awaiting to see if justice will win or not. I've never had to, to wonder, am, am, am I going to be able to see my family again? Am I going to be able to, to preach again? Am I going to be able to, to, to share the gospel again? Am I going to be able to live? Praying that you have the opportunity just to continue. I've never had that. And I don't know how many people in this place have. Specifically, I'm talking about for our faith. But Paul did. It was real. It was his life. Remember what I've shared that Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. This is what he told his followers. Paul knew this. And, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say. We'll be giving you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Brother will betray brother to death, and father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in one city, then flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, what does it say when they persecute you in one, flee to the next? Use everything at our disposal for the kingdom. That's what Paul was doing. 
He was saying, hey, I, I'm going to try to use every bit of opportunity. I'm going to use everything at my disposal. I have rights. I'm going to try the next thing so I can continue on the kingdom of God. So truly, I'll say you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Of course, a, a prelude of what he would share with them in Matthew chapter 24, which he would, they would ask him, hey, what, is, what are the signs of your coming? What's it going to look like at the end? And he told them Matthew chapter 24, 25, some of those same things. But we have the opportunity now to pour out our lives and use everything we can for the kingdom. I think we should use the rights we have as American citizens to advance the kingdom of God. Amen. Second thing, we have resources. Man, do we have resources. And that's why I was saying, man, with this pocket of grace in the period of, in, in the era of the church, that, that we as Americans, America for the last couple hundred years, I mean, ha, has been a, a, an anomaly. I mean, just a, a, an amazing, blessed nation of God raised up, sent out millions and billions of dollars to missions and to churches and to foreign fields and have sent out missionaries to all corners of the earth. I mean, America has been used by God and it has, it has these principles, these foundations in the founding of our nation to ensure that we can live freely and share the gospel with everybody. That was one of the intents and purposes. We have rights, but with all of those blessings, we have all these, these earthly resources. And one of the things that we have is money. We have money. Jesus told those 12 in Matthew chapter 10, freely you have received, freely you should give. Think about this. Someone gave to that church for that preacher or for that tract or for that Bible that was sent or printed or shared with you at some point in time. We've been given amazing gifts being Americans. The most blessed nation that God has raised up. Again, we will be held accountable for the abundant blessings and resources we have. And when's the last time you said, man, I, I, I want to save up some so I can give to this, this, these missionaries. I want to save up so, man, we can, we can see this go forward for the kingdom of God. Oftentimes we save up for something that we want. Well, there's nothing wrong with having things. Man, that should not be the focus of our lives. Amen. We should be looking to, to, to use what God has blessed us with to advance his kingdom. We've been given money. We've been given resources. And how have we used them? And you don't think God is going to hold us accountable for that? He will. He says he will. God never breaks his promises. And that's not to strike fear, but that's to bring us to a sober, uh, soberness in our life and say, what am I doing with my life as a child of God? With all of these blessings, what are we doing with them? We're often so infatuated with earthly treasure, and we miss the opportunity to use earthly treasure for the eternal kingdom. We get so infatuated with the stuff, and we forget, oh, it's all going away. Literally, it could go away right now. What am I investing that God has given me now for eternity? That's how I should live my life. I should look to see every opportunity advance the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 12, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. There it is. There's that, hey, you want to see some problems? Have a loved one die, right? Have a loved one pass away, and oftentimes... Problems come to the surface, and what do they revolve around? Sometimes it's the sentimental stuff, but a lot of times it has to do with just the stuff. 
This is what this problem was. What, what, this, this problem in the family came because of stuff. Hey, teacher, you got influence. Tell my brother he needs to divide, divide the family inheritance with me. I want my stuff. But he said to him, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you? He said to him, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. Every form of greed. Not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. It's not what makes up our life. He told them the parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. He began reasoning to himself, saying, Oh, what shall I do? Since I have no place to store my crops, I mean, I am just running over. Every crop is just, I mean, abundant. I don't know what else to do with all this stuff that I have. Then he said, This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my little tiny barns, and I'm going to build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods. Look at what we've stored. Look at what we've saved up. Look at this life we are living. And for many years to come, we're going to be good. So just take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. This is what life is all about. Just get everything you can so you can just sit back, kick your feet up, and live the good life. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you. And now... Who will own what you have prepared? When you die, where's it going? Not you, not to you. Well, yeah, but but it'll go to my kids. Who says? Remember the story of Job? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He said to the disciples, for this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you're going to eat, nor your body as to what you're going to wear, what you're going to put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. It's, it's, life is more than what you can consume, and it's more than what you wear. I mean, it's, life has way more importance than just these temporal things. Think about the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, nor they have storeroom, uh, no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Amen. Woo, we need to remember that. If then you cannot do a very little thing, you can't even add an hour to your life. You can't do nothing like that. Why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of those lilies. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace. How much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? And do not seek what you will eat. Don't live for what you can consume or what you can drink. And don't keep on worrying. Don't, don't, don't be worried about all these things. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. That's what the world seeks after is things and possessions and how they can consume and please themselves. Don't live your life like that. Your father knows that you need these things, but seek his kingdom, and the things you need will be added to you. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts, which you do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moths destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed in readiness 
and keep your lamps lit. What is he saying that for? Because you need to be eternally focused. You need to be living like you're, you're le- living like you're leaving. You, you need to be living like you're just being prepared for the eternal kingdom. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third and finds them so, blessed are those servants. Be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would have not had allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are, are you addressing this parable to us or, or to everyone else as well? Who are you talking to? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their, their rations at a proper time? Blessed is that servant, that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, similar to that rich guy, my master's going to be a long time coming. I'm, I can live my life right now. We can, we can buy all the stuff we want to do. We've got plenty of time before Jesus comes back. Because if he slaves both men and women to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. See, that, it goes down to the matter of the heart. And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord, in accord with his will will receive many lashes, but the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of flogging will receive but a few. So the, the judgment for those who knew and didn't will be stricter than those who didn't from everyone who's been given much much will be required, and to whom they entrusted much, of him they will ask all the more. If you don't think we as a, an American church are going to give a high, high account for what God has entrusted with us, to us, we are fooling ourselves. Man, we have been given resources. Man, and you know, everything that we do in our life now is supposed to make our lives better, easier, right? We, we're supposed to be more efficient. We got devices. We got, I mean, everything. We want technology to be faster. We get frustrated when it's not. Why? To make our lives more efficient, better. Why? So what, what do we do with it? What do we do with those things? We make our lives busier, right? Man, we get, we get these schedules going. And oh, man, this is supposed to be better, 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 better. Oh, oh no. We don't have time for anything. And that's one of the resources we should be using is time, redeeming the time because the days are evil. But also our abilities, the third thing. John chapter 3, verse 27, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it's been given him from heaven. A lot of times we don't realize the abilities and the things that God has given us in this earth should be used for his kingdom. They've been given to us by God to use for the Lord. It's not a knock on anybody, but there have been instances in the past where I've taught certain people certain things. I want to be used for the world. You've probably seen that too. Maybe, maybe you've raised your kids and you've taught them, do this for the Lord, do this for the Lord, and they, they turn around and serve the world. Colossians three seventeen says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, 
giving thanks through him to God the Father. Verse 23 says, whatever you do, do, it heart, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. We should use our money, we should use our time, we should use our abilities, we should use even our technology. And the reason I put that in there is because, as I said in the beginning, I believe we're living in this pocket of grace where there are so many blessings, so, so many. We were talking about this yesterday, Rochelle and I uh, took a little road trip, and uh, we were talking, you know, listening to some things and talking about several things. And uh, we were talking about, you know, even uh, antediluvian, pre, pre-flood time, where there was probably some amazing technologies that were lost in all of that. I mean, Noah could only record and, and remember so much, I believe. But imagine all the things that had been from, from man's inception, man's creation, uh, and, and having full knowledge of the will of God. Sin hadn't, hadn't entered in until Adam, Adam sinned. But from that point, you basically had full knowledge, complete person, sinlessness, all those things. Up until Noah, you know, 2,000 uh, years later, Noah uh, and, and all the thoughts and intents of the heart were continually sinful. God says, I, I repent that I've made man, so I'm going to destroy them all. He, he does that except for Noah and his family. I, I, I think that as is, is, is amazing as some of the technology that could have possibly existed at that time, I think they would look at our time right now where we're talking about flying crafts and, and even flying cars and, and hoverboards. I mean, you can... I, I, I think they would look at our world and say, what bizarre world is that? I mean, it looks like aliens have invaded. I mean, I think they would think, look at all of I mean, you have, what is a phone call? You know, I think that they would even, like, we had to write letters or we had to walk miles to someone's house to tell them something or to deliver a message, to, to, to hand them, you know, a stone tablet or something. Can you imagine that, oh, no, no, you don't have to do that. You can do that in probably a half a second. You can just text somebody like that. And sometimes the prompts even show up on your phone. You don't have to type a thing. You've got to be careful with that sometimes because you send the wrong thing. You're like, oh, no, that's not it. But can you imagine them trying to, Fathom what we have by means of technology. We live in an unprecedented time. Think about this. Paul had no time to get on, no opportunity to get online. Think about that. Well, how, how, how could Paul rally? I mean, he could, he could sense it. Oh, he could get online and he could start a, a GoFundMe page. Uh, he, could, he, could, he, could, he could really solicit some some rallies and, and some things online for people to gain support and to push back against the government. Have a rally, maybe. He had no ability to do that. There was no social media. The petitions that would be had would happen in towns, again, rallying people against him and for him. But you and I have the ability not only to use money and our time in the abilities that we've been given by God, but with technology, we can share and serve in even more ways than the world has ever known before. There's nothing wrong with you getting on your Instagram, your Twitter, your Facebook, whatever, TikTok, whatever. There's nothing wrong with posting about your food or your restaurant that you went to. There's nothing wrong with posting pictures of your vacation and where you stayed, or, or your kids and their achievements and what they're doing. There's nothing wrong with posting about your spouse and how much you love them. But we got to make sure we never forget that we have the opportunity with technology 
to shine the light like never before. Like I said, I mean, there's nothing wrong with posting about those things. I mean, look, you post about food, you're going to make somebody hungry, probably. Make somebody want to go there. You post about, you know, any of the other things. You might make people jealous, which happens probably a lot. I mean, you can, you can post about Christ and the gospel and be a light. Like I believe Paul wished he could have even done back then. I mean, he was living his life. He was trying to get, give it all for the kingdom of God using everything at his disposal. Okay, I have rights. I appeal to Caesar. I want to keep going for the kingdom. I want to share with more people. I want more people to hear about Jesus. Can you imagine showing the apostle? Hey, Paul, look, look. Hit that post right there. Look, post, all right? Now, you tell them about Jesus. Who's going to read it? I don't know, maybe millions of people, possibly. Depends on who shares it. What do you mean who shares it? Well, they just hit a button, and then it possibly goes to hundreds of thousands of their friends can you imagine Paul's mind being blown? What? <laughs> you could share with the millions of people with just a click of a button? You could tell them? What do we do with it? Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Ephesians 4, 29, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as good for edification only to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. You don't need to get online and get in debates and, and issues and, 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 and about all this kind of stuff. Just get online and show, share the light, shine the light of Jesus Christ. Again, I don't care, share your other stuff in your life, but, but shine the light. Man, it's an opportunity we have for the kingdom of God that the church has right now. It may go away. Hey, it may go away a lot sooner than we think. And with all the censorship that's going around in our, in, our, in our nation, there may come a day sometime soon that you go to post something and it says this is a religious, religious uh, offensive or this is domestic terrorist, this is hate speech, and, and, and not be able to do it. But right now we can. And while we should long to see our Lord much like Paul, we should fight and labor until he takes us home. We should fight and labor until he takes us home. I'm not going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but... Basically, he was saying, you know, we, we long for our, our heavenly body. We're not looking to, to, to be found naked here, but our desire is that we would be clothed on with that heavenly body, that glorified state. He does say this, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Verse, nine, I mean, verse 10, it says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Philippians chapter 1, the last one. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. We talked about perspective. Paul is, when he's writing this to the Philippians, he is in a Roman prison. And he says, hey, I want you to know that what I'm going through right now actually furthered the gospel. My negative circumstances, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, because of what I've gone through, there have been faith increased, have far more courage to speak the Word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. They're looking out for their own good, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former, those who are doing it for themselves, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? 
So, so if you've got people doing it for the wrong reason, people doing it for the right reason, and, but, but people are encouraged because of the, the gospel being preached, the faithfulness of the servant, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. Amen. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit in Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, that with all boldness Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I'm to live in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I, and I don't know which to choose. But I'm hard-pressed from both directions because I desire to be with Christ. To, I desire to die and to be with Christ because that's very much better. That's bad English. That's very much better. But look, don't correct me because it's in the Bible. Um, yet to remain in the flesh is much more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Unless what he says, we'll close. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or remain uh, absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving for what? Striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, those who oppose you, but of salvation for you and that from God. As I said last week, we're never to promise to miss persecution. And I want Trinity Baptist Temple to be prepared. I want to make sure that we're ready and we're serving, that, there were, that we're those servants that are found so doing. That, that are redeeming the time, that are using up, that are storing up treasure in heaven, that are not living for our own bellies and for our own will, that, that we're living and using up every resource that we can for the kingdom of God. Because here's the truth, I want you to be able to stand before the Lord and say, man, we were trying with everything we could to advance your kingdom. We used our money, we used our time, we used the abilities that you gave us, we used technology, we used everything we could because we knew our time was running out. I don't want you to stand there and say, but God, I thought I had a little more time, and I just wanted to get those last couple things that I really wanted, and then I was going to start living for you. Don't be so saturated with earthly living that you don't look like a child of heaven. Let's so make sure that we use everything at our disposal to be effective for the kingdom of God. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for what you do in our lives and what you do in this church. And we thank you for this message this morning and the challenge it poses uh, for all of us. Lord, it's so easy to just live on this earth and forget that we should be live, living like we're leaving. We, we should be living like we're, we're children of, of heaven, citizens of heaven, and just foreigners here on this land. But so often we get so saturated with so many things on this earth that we look so much like children of this earth. I said, of children of heaven. Lord, I pray that our, our lives are, are challenged this morning, that maybe even conviction, Lord, that we would change, that we would see that you've blessed us with these things and we should be using them for your kingdom. The fear is, is that we, we hear these things and we can acknowledge that this is how we're living our lives, but do nothing. Leave this place and nothing changes. 
go back to our lives living for this world and for ourselves, showing up for church and calling it good. I pray that that wouldn't be the case. I pray that we would, something would change. We would become more devoted to your kingdom than ever before. If there is somebody here that's lost, God, they've never surrendered their life to you. If they were challenged with a question this morning, do you know where you're going to spend eternity if you were to die right now? And they couldn't answer that question for sure. Heaven, I pray that they would move this morning to this altar. And they would say, what do I have to do to be saved? How can I know that I know that I know that I'm going to heaven? I pray that you would do that work in their heart and their life. We'll praise you for all this, God. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as he sings, I want to invite you to come.